This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency. Hello there and greetings. This is the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. I'm Peter Gowers. Let's get to the NT Independent Online Newspaper now. Have a chat with Dave Woody Wood. Woody, how are you, mate? Um, good, Pete. How are you? Very well, thank you. We, we hoped that you'd be the person that I'd be speaking to when I did weekends last week with Chris. That was the, that was the intention, but uh, we weren't sure who was going to be on flights, not going to be on flights, and what was going on. But uh, it's good to see you and good to speak to you. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm the first drop in the batting order. We don't bat too deep after me. <laughs> so if oh, I die, I don't know what happens. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's yes. hope you stay with us, mate, because uh, there's lots to talk about and nothing bigger, I think, Chris, than uh, Coroner uh, – sorry, Dave. I think that uh, Coroner Elizabeth Armitage has uh, decided not to recuse herself from the Walker inquest. Yeah, that's right. I I actually think there's some sort of like unexplained law of nature that when Chris Walsh goes away, then stuff just happens. And yeah, yeah. this dropped late this afternoon. Now it was you know expected at some point, but it was never known exactly when. And um, now former police constable Zach Rolfe, who was acquitted of the murder of Kumanjai Walker. In May last year, now he'd he'd shot him three times in a bungled arrest in Yuendamu, and uh, Mr. Walker had tried to stab him during that arrest. Um, but there was a coronial inquiry into that, and Zach Rolf's lawyers had filed an application on October sixth, calling on uh, Coroner Elizabeth Armitage to recuse herself from the inquest on the grounds of apprehended bias. And he was also seeking materials related to a non-publication order on the Spotlight television program and materials relevant to the coroner's visit to Yuendamu. Now, she ruled today that she wouldn't recuse herself from presiding over the coronial inquest, saying that not persuaded a fair-minded layperson would think she was not impartial, if you can take that all in. She thinks she does not have apprehended bias, essentially. In the matter. Fair enough. So where does that leave it from here, Dave? Does that mean that there'll be an appeal or anything like that? Yeah, likely there'll be an appeal against this decision. Now, before he made this application, they were due to have some more sitting days between October 23 and 27. Now, Armitage had vacated those um, scheduled days to make this decision. So um, this will note, and they're due to for some reason, they shut down for the wet season and it was scheduled to start up again in late February. Um, so I, I don't know. I can't. I don't have the foresight to see what how long a court process would take if they did appeal this and what time frame that would be done in. But so Rolf and another police officer um, who was there on the night of the shooting were both to give evidence on the starting on the 23rd as well. Um, Rolf had had lost a court appeal against having to give evidence because he was worried that his testimony may lead to some sort of civil uh, punishments against him, like internal disciplinary action and, and the like from the police. So, so um, who knows what happens with whether it extends the um, the inquest even further? Now, this inquest has already been going for more than a year. September. 
fifth it started. And it's not saying that it's run the whole time. It's been, it's been, they seem to take the tries, the wet season off, as I said, and there's been other legal appeals that have, have shut it down as well. Um, so he, um, Rolf had said, had accused the, the judge of a number of things, including, um, he accused her of withholding full recordings of her colonial visit to Yonamu last year and hiding correspondence from parties to the inquest. While well, he said counsel assisting Peggy Dwyer was accused of colluding with the MT police executive to get him to get him disciplined and fired. Now she made a judgment that she did not think that she had the regular person would not think that she had apprehended bias. And she went on to say that um Rolf had not identified any statement by her in the transcript or the written rulings that showed a bias against him and that his submissions had overlooked the air taken to ensure that a process was fair to him. And there was also people who made applications against his application for accusal who were critical of the time frame, the timing of what he was doing it, which meant that the coronial was going to get pushed back, but also how long um how many how long a period had it had been Jeez, i can't speak properly how long since some of the things he accused the judge of happening had happened had happened i didn't make any of it you know. <laughs> <laughs> anyway his uh, applications i um but, uh, i'm not going to be able to get this out <laughs> so for an example that he made a complaint about what happened during her visit to your and um, the NT police argued that it had been 325 days since uh, the coroner's visit to Yundamu before he made the application. And based on that, they thought he couldn't have been that concerned or about any sort of apprehended bias if he left it so long to make it the complaint. Whereas he argued it was like a, it was the, the vibe of the thing. It was a accumulation of things um, mm. with it, with the last um allegation happening like the last thing he was complaining about happening on august 29 this year anyway there's some comp- more complicated legal argument there um and people should go and read it it's quite a it's quite a joy to read of course of course i look forward to uh drilling down in more detail on the weekend edition woody uh, um mate looking at another story which uh, raised a few eyebrows today when i saw the headlines um looks like a step back in time with uh, the new chief minister now fleeing a press conference uh that uh one chris walsh turned up to attend yeah that's right chris walsh um it, it's hard to it's hard to comprehend that this has happened with two chief ministers that um two labor chief ministers have run from the nt independent so today, Christopher uh, went to a press conference this morning, and I must add, he went to a press conference this morning. The um, before he stepped on a plane to go to Sydney to to go to the Walkleys to to uh, because of his excellence in journalism. Um, now, files obviously, as people know, excludes the NT Independent from press conferences, as did a predecessor, Michael Gunner. And they exclude us from getting any information from departments as well. Anyway, as you would be aware, the Ms. Files has embroidered somewhat of a sheer scandal uh, this week and last, which was exposed by the NT Independent, um, which showed that she'd 
contravened a ministerial code of conduct in um, in not getting rid of her shares um, that she had. And um, she was scheduled for a CBD press conference this morning and um, Chris rocked up and on two separate occasions, representatives of companies involved in the project that was being spruiked, and I don't even know what it was, um, asked Chris to go. Um, wow. And uh, for- fortunately, there was a couple of journalists on hand who started filming the interaction, and I think that's what made the, the company representatives give up. And uh, so, but Files eventually just <laughs> realised that she was probably trapped in a bit of a corner, that she couldn't just leave. She uh, she gave, she spoke about the, the details of the project. <laughs> then she took no questions, and this is the best part. Like, this is just what makes it, you know, really amazing she she fled the scene to use chris's language leaving her media advisor jasmine russos standing in the road as the white lexus suv peeled away as chris described it you don't even need to see a video of that the way he's described it yeah you just think it's a bit warm too to be left on the side of the road yeah yeah uh, in top end during the day so i wonder if you realized that she wasn't in the car with him (laughs) Yeah, maybe they haven't realised still. Um, <laughs> and maybe it's not that far a walk back from where they were. I think it was it was in McMinn Street somewhere. Um, so no, it would have been good exercise for her, and she probably wouldn't have died doing it. But um, anyway, but you don't have to cast your mind back too far to think about. I think it was when the NT Independent first started up. And Chris and I had made our way down to Stokes Hill Wharf, which is public wharf, because we were told that Chief Minister Michael Gunner was then going to hold a press conference, and I think it was a um, tourism COVID announcement type thing. And then we saw the the white Lexuses roll on, and then um, then they drove off again. And then journalists started getting text messages, and it was they were reconvening at a more comfortable location, which was Parliament House. And, uh, and then we we made our way with the throng of journalists in Parliament House. And um, we were allowed in Parliament House, but we weren't allowed to go to the room where the press conference was being held. So um, to think that two chief ministers have been, I think the word is cowardice, to have the, such levels of cowardice as not to be able to front a journalist um, is astonishing, really. But that's the situation we find ourselves in. Yeah, I think it is, Dave. But uh, one of the things I've said to Chris a few times, I've probably said it to you as well, in some ways it may have actually been helpful because I think a bit more of the leaking and so forth goes on as a result of that fact. I'm not sure if I'm 100% correct about it, but it just feels like you get more info as a result of uh, being excluded from those sorts of things. Yeah, it sort of works out as quite a marketing move for us that we didn't we didn't ask for but they sort of gifted to us but i think you're right because um people could see that the government were concerned about us and um that they could see that we were willing to really fight for well the average territorian unlike what some of the corporate media do and that they are very willing to then then produce information that that you know be whistleblowers and you have to say i have to say that you still have to follow through on that. You have to stand these really difficult stories up um, to be able to actually, you know, you, you you pique the interest of people who think they can trust you, but then you have to go to the extra length of actually making difficult stories um, stand up and be able to publish them to really fulfil the faith they have in us. 
which I think we've done quite well in. Absolutely. I agree. And uh, if um, being nominated for a Walkley Award tells you anything, I think it agrees as well. Before we, yeah, just going back to the Walkley Award, can we say Walkley Award enough? We can. In, in, uh, just in the context of this whole thing, in August, uh, you may remember the uh, Chief Minister, Chris is here, lied to the National Press Club during a televised mm. speech when she claimed that the NT Independent reported misinformation, is not a professional and was not a professional organisation, um, which obviously was strongly refuted by us. And, and probably uh, you would think maybe that, People who produce misinformation don't become Walkley finalists. Correct. I think I pointed that out, or I hope I did, strongly enough last week when talking about it with Chris because that's pretty much exactly my point, is that all of the claims that have been made by this Chief Minister and the previous one are, are clearly incorrect because of, one, this nomination, but also the NT Media Awards because you know they're backed by the Walkley organisation and other people who wouldn't simply be lured in to just hand out prizes willy-nilly. So <laughs> I, I completely agree. And Dave, just before I let you go, mate, um, the chopper owned by Matt Wright was probably crashed because it ran out of fuel, uh, which is conflicting accounts of it being refueling at the time. Yeah, there's been a few people um, uh, question the use of the word Probably, and I just like I the Australian had reported that it had likely ran out of fuel, but my reading of the um, I think it's the Australian Transport Safety Bureau's report that was released this morning, uh, it said it probably ran out of fuel. And I think one of my favourite comments on Facebook was, "Occasions where probably will be okay for a scenario. I will probably eat dinner this week." It will probably rain this wet season. Helicopter crashes? Question mark. Um, but this is where we find ourselves. There, after the crash, which happened in late February 2022, they've they've released a 113-page damning report into into the crash of the Robertson R44 helicopter, which crashed in the King River region in in West Arnhem Land where there was three helicopters in um, in a group that were going out crocodile egg collecting and uh, it, it, two of the two of the other helicopters later became aware that um the that they hadn't heard from this helicopter which had crashed now the helicopter that crashed killed uh the helicopters were owned by sorry Matt Wright who um who, or his company anyway Hallibrook and you might know that Matt Wright is the the star of um, Outback, Rang Outback Wrangler, is that it? I hope so, Outback Wrangler, and the Netflix series Wild Croc Territory, and his co-star Chris Wilson and a man he described as his best mate was killed in the crash. Chris had been um, on a sling suspended underneath the helicopter to collect the eggs, and the, the pilot, Sebastian Robinson, has severe spinal injuries as a result of the crash. Now, there's... I'm not sure we – there's still questions that I could – I didn't feel satisfied with the whole thing. But uh, the ATSB investigation found the helicopter's engine stopped mid-flight, probably due to running out of fuel, probably. And during their subsequent auto-rotation emergency forced landing 
procedure, pilot released the hooks and the sling line carrying Wilson beneath the helicopter. Now, they said based on an analysis of fuel samples and other evidence, the investigation found that the helicopter was likely not refueled at a fuel depot about three quarters of the way between Darwin and the, the egg collecting area. Um, and that the pilot hadn't noticed that the helicopter was running out of fuel. Now, the interesting thing is at this like Mount Borrowdale station where they were going to refuel, there was various witness accounts or accounts by people in this croc hunting party about that the helicopter was refueled or partially refueled. So it's really interesting that um, that some of these people said, no, I, I actually feel that at least one of them said, I actually filled the helicopter up to the brim myself. But based on the the testing of fuel, the ATSB found that that was not the case. So, I mean, that's a really interesting thing. Some of the other things that they found were that um, Wright's company was not using its safety management system to identify hazards with with um, actually collecting crops in that way, but also that there was non-compliance with like such things as maintenance standards and accurate mm. record keeping. And now they said they said it wasn't enough. The, the lack of maintenance was an increased risk level for their helicopter flying, but not likely to result in a sudden power loss. But they also said, interestingly, in- engine defects at the time of the crash likely affected the engine's maximum power output and fuel consumption. Now, outside of the actual findings of, and there's a lot more detail in this report as well, you can get into the minutiae of a lot of things there that, that we didn't get into. But the, people would also know that outside of that, the and the ATSB referenced it in this report, that um, it, ref, it, uh, it referred uh possible offences under the Transport Safety Investigation Act that were relating to interference with evidence to the AFP, who then um, referred it on to the Territory Police. Now, you also know that um, Matt Wright has been charged with uh, accused of perverting the course of justice and destruction of evidence, as well as fabricating evidence, interfering with witnesses, making a false declaration and and two counts of unlawful entry after a helicopter crashed into the trees. Now, also, former acting senior sergeant Neil Mellon is, um, was also charged with uh, disclosure of confidential information and unlawfully accessing data to gain benefit, as well as other charges. And then helicopter pilot Mick Burridge has also been charged with conspiracy to pervert the course of justice, attempting to pervert the course of justice, and a few others. Now, it's it's also important to to say that all three of these men are made pain their innocence and are fighting the charges to do with that. Mm. Well, Woody, I look forward to drilling down on that and all the other stories in more detail in the weekend edition. Uh, there's a lot to talk about. Yeah, no worries. And I look forward to not reading another report tomorrow. <laughs> Let's hope, hey? <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yes. I'll catch you on the weekend. Thanks, Pete. That was David Wood from the NT Independent online newspaper. Weekends with Woody back this week. About 7 a.m. Saturday morning, you'll be able to catch that, and we'll catch you again next week with the Territory Story Podcast News Bites. That was the Territory Story News Bites for this week. Thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.